0: Well good morning. morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Uh, This summer we've been walking through the uh, book of Colossians in our summer series called Firmly Established. And so for the past couple of weeks we've been in chapter 3 which talks specifically about how uh, we, we're actively to put on new life in Christ or to operate out of the new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. For those who have received him, he's given you, he has given you a new identity, new life, a new self. So the passage we're going to dive into this morning is Colossians 3. Verse 11 through 15, but I want to quickly recap where we've been already, sort of in this chapter, and so in order to understand where we are right now, kind of where we're going, I want you to see it in the context of where we've been, okay? And so, uh, you may have noticed that as we've walked through this letter, there are a lot of phrases like, therefore, right? We say this a lot, you hear me say it, it's like every week. It's like when you see therefore, you go, what is the therefore Therefore, right, or if then, right, you see these phrases, if then, and you're like, well, what, what do you mean? What's happening here is that throughout this letter, this is one long stream of thought that builds upon itself, and it circles back, and it points out already things that he's made emphasis on, and so he's emphasizing and reemphasizing, and he's using different metaphors and different images uh, to help us understand and apply the truths that he's declaring over us and over specifically the Colossians, and through his letter to them, it applies directly to us as well, even 2,000 years later. And so, um, it's important to see how all of this flows together, and how it all points to Jesus as our firm foundation. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus, okay? And so, let's drop back to Colossians 2, verse 20, and I'm going to read through to Colossians 3, verse 11, just to kind of recap and catch us up so we can grasp the full picture of what's going on here in our main passage, which again is going to be Colossians 3, verse 11 through 15. You with me? Yep. Okay, here we go. So look with me to Colossians 2, verse 20. So it says this, Colossians 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek, say seek, seek, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set, say set, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Christ is your life. Seek that which is above where he is. Seek the things of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of Jesus and his righteousness, then you can trust that all else will be added unto you. Seek your true identity, which comes from Christ. That like you are risen in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are risen in Christ. It's your identity. It's not something you're trying to achieve. It's something you already have because it's been achieved on your behalf. This is the whole power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To set your minds on that reality rather than on what this world would tell you. Or the identities this world would give you. And when you do that, when you seek him and you set your minds upon him and the things of him, the natural response, or actually the the supernatural response, will be to, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? All that I just said, right? Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Say, put it all away. Put it all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put it all away. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You've already done it if you're in Christ, which is being, this new self, look at this, is being renewed in knowledge, which is like an intimate knowledge, not just information. It's intimacy renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul uses the language of putting that sinful identity off, like, he's like changing clothes, right? So he says, you once walked in these clothes, you lived in these kinds of character traits, you clothed yourselves in these things, he even lists examples of, of the uh, ways that they would please themselves at the expense of others. Right? Clayton did a great job walking through this last week. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. They're all examples of how you, you, you take, or the Colossians used to, or had a tendency to, and we also walking in those clothes you tend to take from others in order to please yourself. You see this? That's what all that means. Then he lists ways that they would exert themselves over others in order to puff themselves up. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Like these are the practices of a sinful world. Like, these are the ways that the sinful world, watch this, this is how a sinful world deals with their insecurity. This is how the sinful world deals with difficulty in order to cover themselves. It's what you put on in order to deal with that insecurity and vulnerability so you feel better about yourself. These are the tactics the sinful world suits up in in order to protect themselves because they're alone. So whether it's a false sense of comfort or sensual pleasure at the expense of others, sexual immorality, coveting, like that's what that is, or by exerting power, exerting yourself over others to tear them down in order to make yourself feel better about yourself. Anger, malice. Wrath. It's all just self-centered navel-gazing. It's all just a a me-centeredness, which is ultimately always going to just leave you bitter and insecure and tormented by the fact that you're acting like God, but you're not God. And it leaves you isolated and alone. Nothing is ever enough because you're never enough. And then it seems like nobody is ever enough to feed that thing that you need because they're not God either. (laughs) So again, Clayton did a great job introducing us to this concept last week. Like this is the pride shame spectrum that we've been talking about throughout this series, right? Clayton covered some of this, but this is, I want you to see, I want you to see how this is, the, the fallen world tries to hide from the insecurities and vulnerabilities that come from being distant from the creator you were made for. It's the result of a world in identity crisis. It's kind of like a middle school locker room, right? you think about a middle school locker room, any guys that play middle school sports, you're like, high school, I did it there too. It still happens every time I go into the break room, right? Like this is... And it's not just guys, it's all of us. But it's, this is the pride-shame spectrum. And I'm going to quickly draw it out for us. R- quick recap on what we've been doing, right? So this is a, the pride-shame spectrum. Is like, this is a, P stands for pride. That's, yep, that's a P, believe it or not. And then down here is shame, right? And I'm even going to say shame or condemnation. That's the C. <laughs> so when something good happens to you, Right? Or you do something good, or something good happens to you, you're like, you know, great, something good happened to me. Pride. Right? And then something bad happens to you, shame. Right? You do something great, it's like pride again, maybe more, right? You've seen this. This is the way when we do good, we feel like we're proud. We feel like we've attained salvation. We feel like God is proud of us. We feel like God loves us. We feel like everything is going great. But then when things happen that are bad, we're ashamed. When people do bad things to us, we feel ashamed. And then we feel like we need to step on them and push them down or compare ourselves to other people in the world in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. This is the pride-shame spectrum. And this is how the world clothes themselves in order to protect themselves. This is not the way of Christ. I'm going to explain this, right? 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 So good, good happens. God must love me. People must love me. I'm awesome. I'm accepted. I'm approved of. I am great. The tactics, self-help books. This is Barnes and Noble is like the temple for this kind of religion. Does that make sense? So like, something bad happens. Again, shame, condemnation. God must hate me. People must hate me. I'm worthless, rejected, abandoned, condemned. So what do you do when things happen? Like we try to fix them. We try to make ourselves feel better. Sex, coveting, pornography, greed, idolatry, all of these things are attempts to make yourself feel better about yourself to move back up that ladder. In our shame and for our pride, we twist things in on ourselves to make it all about ourselves. We even try to make people feel bad for us when we are in that shame. It's all self centered. So instead of being a source of encouragement and strength and edification, bringing value and security to those around us, we wallow in victimization and then it becomes manipulation. See this? Instead of being a place of giving and strength, men, you're called to give strength, not take. Sexual immorality is a take spirit, it's a rape spirit, it's a pornographic spirit that's unhinged from reality. It's a never enough spirit. It's not true strength that's designed to care for, nurture, or affirm others. It's a self-centered, me-centered spirit of greed, lust, and self-serving exaltation. So the more you feed that, the more you think you're gonna need that. It's the spirit that flaunts ego and pride in shameless parades as if the solution to that deep void of despair is to just run really hard this way but of course reality is always waiting. it's always watching it's always ready to devour which is why pride always goes before the fall into shame and condemnation as the cycle continues so this is what the world suits up in in order to protect themselves or or to convince themselves that they are worthy, but it's ultimately hollow and it's toxic. No matter how many social media likes you get, that dopamine kick will wear off, but the addiction will never be enough. Somebody hurts you, then it's, I'll show them, I'll seek revenge, so you clothe yourself in anger and malice and wrath as if you are the divine arbiter of justice yourself. Maybe you do what you can to hurt them or, or whomever, whenever you can. You slander, you gossip, whether it's to hurt them or just entertain yourself by propping your own ego up in comparison to make yourself feel better. This is the old man. This is the flesh. This is the way this world tends to operate. Like, why do you think people love those trashy train wreck shows? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? Those, like filled with toxic drama that you're like, oh man, these people are scrambling. Shambles. That's a way to subconsciously or even consciously feel better about yourself in comparison. Be careful. The sinful flesh loves that mess. But the Spirit of God hates it. Hates it. Like, when you see that stuff through gospel lenses, when you see that, those shows, and you see it through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it'll break your heart. Break your heart, because you'll see God's image bearers in a cycle of demonic torment. That's what it is. And it's heartbreaking. I'm not up here wagging a finger at you because you're watching Housewives of whatever, right? That's not what this is about. I want you to see that that's not entertainment, though. That's torture. It's heart-wrenching when you realize what's actually happening and you put those gospel lenses on. And that's the kind of covering this world operates under to deal with vulnerability and insecurity. It's just a survival tactic. Hurt me, I'll hurt you worse. And if I feel bad about what I've done, then I'll just compare myself to somebody worse than me to feel better. It's also why our society tends to segment off into tribes or groups to find their identity. It's the heart behind identity politics. Like, associate with a particular group to make yourself feel better about yourself because you're a part of this elite. Or, as if you deserve special entitled treatment, you're a part of this oppressed. You see this? As if one group is inherently better than the other, and the other should be ashamed of themselves. Believe it or not, that stuff was running rampant in ancient Colossae. It's this. That's why Paul tells them in verse 11, here, when you get off of this, when you get off of this, in Christ, in Christ, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. The ultimate identity that unifies all others is your identity in Christ. That doesn't mean there's not value to different cultures. and, and God is all about oneness, yet not sameness. We've talked about this, right? Unity in diversity. But the unity that creates, that, that comes out of all of this is because we're all unified in the ultimate identity that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul's saying that these are the clothes that you once lived in. This is how you used to live and identify, but it's not who you are now. Those old clothes don't fit. The truth is, outside of Christ, we're all down here in the shame and condemnation area. That's where we're all at, outside of Christ. That's where we all stand condemned in shame. The whole spectrum is one big attempt to ignore the reality that humanity deserves Damnation. This is the true state of humanity. So the only way off of the spectrum is actually acknowledging this reality. There's a doorway down there. His name is Jesus. Right? That's how you get off. You don't get here from here. You realize that all of this is loss. The doorway is down here. That's how you get off. This is what confession looks like. Confessing what is true. If you're outside of Christ, this is true. That's the first step to getting off the spectrum and and, and out of those old clothes. But you can't stay here. You can't recognize that this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going to live. You don't live in shame and condemnation. That is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. You can't stay there. You can't make shame your address. You must put on Christ. You must clothe yourselves in his righteousness. That requires humility. Okay? Shame is only helpful insofar as it opens your eyes to see how this way of life has ensnared you. But God does not want you to stay there. So, when you try to put this identity back on, it's going to feel heavy. It's going to feel like the Spirit of God is in you and he's like, get this mess off of me. You don't belong here. You belong here in me. Like that's called conviction. Like if your true identity is being disgusted by the lies of sexual immorality and coveting and greed and pulling everybody to yourself to please yourself at their expense then malice and wrath and anger and exerting yourself upon others in control or domineering or or like, if you're in Christ, that's going to feel heavy. You ever felt it? You ever been in situations like that? You're just like, oh gosh, this is just crushing. This is so heavy. It's because you're not made for it, not designed for it. And those clothes, they don't belong to you. There's a kind of spiritual heaviness when you're constantly feeling like you have something to prove. It's burdensome. At first, it may feel like you're protected from the enemy because you don't feel so naked and you don't feel so vulnerable. But the truth is, when you operate in those old clothes, you're right where the enemy wants you. 1 Samuel 17 tells us a famous story of David and Goliath, right? Young David steps up to fight the giant Goliath, the enemy of God's people. And King Saul tries to give David his personal armor and sword but when he puts it on, it's too heavy. It doesn't fit. So David boldly sets Saul's armor aside. He put it all away. Say, put it away. But he doesn't go into battle with nothing. Okay? David takes up the rock of his salvation. That sling and a stone. He suits up in faith in his Lord and he destroys the enemy with the rock of his salvation. By the way, that is a picture of Jesus. Amen? He is the cornerstone who has become a rock of stumbling for those who don't believe. In case you missed it, Goliath didn't believe and he stumbled hard. The point Paul's making here is to not get weighed down by the clothes of armor that this world looks to and wants you to put on. He's saying, put it all away. But he doesn't tell them to go into battle naked either. He calls them to change clothes. said, change clothes. To suit up in new armor. To put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self and the new identity and begin new practices. Now, what would have made you proud like, the, the things that would have made you proud now make you confident in Christ and thankful. It's a big difference between confidence and pride and arrogance. What would have made you ashamed humbles you and makes you thankful. This is part of spiritual maturation and growing in Christ, right? Shame and condemnation, it goes to humility. Oh, yep, definitely can't do it. Can't do it on my own. Need Jesus. Pride goes to confidence. Didn't get here by myself. Thank God for Jesus. Not about me. Boom. David knew how to wield the rock of his salvation against the enemy. He was disciplined practitioner. Are you? Again, practice begins with putting on the new self, it put, putting on that new armor, your new identity. It begins by putting those old ways and that old man away. It begins by changing clothes and it continues the same way every day because this world is constantly trying to give you its armor. Ephesians 6 actually lists out the kind of spiritual armor that we are to put on every day and it does it in detail. But this morning, I don't have time to go through all that. Go back, Ephesians 6, take a look, it's powerful. But this morning, we're gonna stay in Colossians and focus on three questions which we're gonna use for the rest of our uh, time as a framework, okay? So those three questions are, for the rest of this passage, what are we putting on? Two, how do we put it on? And three, why does it even matter, okay? And here's what I want you to get this morning. If you get nothing else out of this, here's what I want you to get. Life in Christ isn't just about intentionally putting off sin. It's about intentionally putting on Christ. Okay? Life in Christ isn't just about intentionally putting off sin. It's about intentionally putting on Christ. So first question, what are we putting on? Well, we're putting on our new identity that comes from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Say identity. So look with me at Colossians 3, verse 12. And it says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's that then, put on then. Put on then. What do you mean? Okay. As God's chosen ones and holy and beloved. Before we go any further, we need to take in the emphasis Paul's making here on who we are. He's done it again. He does it again and again and again and again. This is the why behind the what. Paul is relentless in reminding us of the why behind the what at every turn throughout this letter. Everything we do flows out of who we are and more importantly, whose we are. It's because of this new identity in Christ as sons and daughters and friends and saints and ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors for Christ and sojourners in a land that's not our own and citizens of the kingdom of heaven that we put on these new clothes. It's all because of the grace and the love that he sings over us that we can even obey and operate this way. The only way you can do as he's designed you to do is if you put on the identity that he has claimed for you, okay? And declared over you. And so, much less wanting to do it, right? Like even a change of heart, Like, sometimes we don't necessarily want to. But this is the way to change your heart, is to put it on and to remember who we are. That changes everything. Because you realize and remember whose you are. But it's not the other way around. It's because we're given a new heart and a new identity that we now operate in these new desires. It's the inside-out transformation, not just outside-in moral conformity. But if you hear that and you think that it means that that doing the things that please God doesn't matter anymore, that's actually a sign that you never knew him in the first place. You never experienced his goodness. So my hope for you today, this morning, is that uh, today is the day of salvation for you. If you've missed all that and you just thought it was just a religious slog of following rules, today is the day for salvation for you. He has a new heart and he has new desires and he has new affections that are available to you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't mean that you're immediately going to be perfect, right? But it does mean that you'll be perfectly loved and that's what transforms us. That's what makes us new from the inside out. So this is a call then to put that identity on and to put that love on. It's the call to practice your access to his presence and indwelling spirit, which is what actually continually transforms us from the inside out and invites us into that shalom or peace or restoration and wholeness with our Heavenly Father. See, Before sin and disobedience entered the world, everything was so good. Adam and Eve walked with God intimately, fully whole and secure in that shalom, that peace with God and one another. It says that they were naked and unashamed because of their deep security in him and therefore with one another. This was shalom. This was wholeness, peace, rest, deep joy, and all of creation was aligned in and with the love of God. But through the rejection of that relationship, sin then entered the world, and that shalom was broken. Genesis tells us that the first thing they realized after they sinned was that they were unclothed. They were naked and ashamed. Shalom was broken. They sensed their vulnerability. Distance from God had crept in, and so did insecurity humanity became murderous and wicked hateful and malicious self-centered and self-aggrandizing all in an insecure attempt to find that shalom without the only one who could actually bring it to them this is the torment of the pride shame spectrum like this is what the world suits up in this is the story of all creation but god say but god But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is the gospel. That God became a man, and he lived the life we couldn't live, and he died the death we deserve to die, and he conquered death in the grave, and he paved the way to eternal life with God Almighty, our Heavenly Father. And it's an eternal life that starts now, not just one day when we die through the indwelling of his spirit, as he transforms us, renews us day by day, as we walk with him. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing the gift of God that's Ephesians 2 right this was always his plan to give you new hearts new desires not just to change your behavior but to change you completely from the inside out he's after your heart Ezekiel 36 Old Testament passage Ezekiel 36 verse 26 through 27 and I will give you a new heart say new heart And a new spirit. Say new spirit. A new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is conviction. If you experience conviction because the spirit's in you that's him doing that that's actually good that's a good thing right it's not a shame thing anymore it's a humility thing that leads you to a deeper level of intimacy with him so it's a change of heart towards him it's an experience of desiring to desire him it's about leaning into even that mustard seed of faith that says i believe help my unbelief if that's you this morning, and I want to welcome you and I want to encourage you to lean into this new identity in Christ because it all flows forth from receiving who he says you are, which is chosen, holy, and beloved if you're in Christ. See, people ultimately don't just have a sin problem, they have an identity problem. Sins always just a self-centered attempt to to achieve what we can only have in Christ. So Paul's here reminding the Colossians of who they are and whose they are and what they're designed for and specifically who they're designed for. To operate out of that. Remember in verse 9, look, he tells us back in verse 9, he tells them not to lie to one another. So don't lie. Say don't lie. At first it sounds like it's just part of the list of things that we should put off, right? But I want you to look deeper, look closer. Because it is a part of the list that we should put off. But he's not just talking about lying in general. He's specifically saying that when you operate out of the old man, when you operate out of those old clothes and that old identity, when you operate under the world's armor, you'll lie to each other about who you actually are. You lie to one another about your true identity slander gossip all that mess when you operate out of sexual immorality when you're sleeping with somebody that's not your wife you're lying to her you see that it's a lie don't lie don't lie this is part of the answer to that second question which is how do we put this new identity on how do we suit up in christ verse 9 and 10 says do not lie to one another look at this seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's saying, open your eyes and see one another for who they truly are. This is a call to patience with one another in the renewal process. So don't lie to one another about your identity in that process. It's a call to tell the truth, even in the midst of the struggle see, the thing about being captivated by sin is that you're believing a lie. You're believing that those old ways are the only ways. That the old clothes are the only clothes. Because without it, you have no other option. Without anger, without malice, without rage or wrath, you're just going to steamroll or get steamrolled as a victim. If you don't rage back, if you don't get angry, if you don't, I'm going to show them, right? Then you're going to get steamrolled by this world. That's the world's clothes. Like without coveting, then you're going to have no motivation to get better or achieve more. That's the world's clothes. Without porn, you're going to be consumed by your own desires. That's the world's clothes. And at least you feel alive for a moment, after all, like at least you feel like you have something to offer, but it's a lie. You're just taking, and when reality strikes, that sense of being naked and ashamed strikes so much. leaning into anger or malicious thoughts towards people that's all a lie as if those things are going to protect you like if i can just control the things and people around me then i'll be safe no you're going to be an anxious mess right most of the time we don't even realize we're doing it we just suit up in saul's armor or that old man simply because it's what we've practiced with so it becomes natural This is why it's so important to intentionally set that stuff aside and suit up instead in your identity in Christ. And surprise, surprise, an important part of suiting up in your new identity is helping others in the process by telling the truth. So tell the truth, which is what Paul's doing here. And look at this. Well, Sometimes when we hear tell the truth, we think that we're just supposed to call everybody's sin out, and that's what telling the truth is. Look, that's not what he's doing here. It's not saying he's not doing that. We'll get into that in a bit. But he, he reminds them, this is the truth. You know what the truth is? You're chosen. You know what the truth is? If you're in Christ, you're holy. You're beloved. Put those old clothes away. They don't fit anymore. That's the truth. You look ridiculous. That's the truth. I love you. Your clothes are falling off of you. It don't fit you anymore. It's too heavy for you. It's not who you are. You belong to God. You're his child. Like he's actually echoing Deuteronomy 7 here. Verse 6 through 8. This is what he says. This is Old Testament stuff. Where God is pulling his people aside and making, saying to the Israelites, you're mine. He says, verse uh, 6, Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you've been chosen. What? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It's not because you're great. It's not because you're strong. It's not because of anything you think you have to offer. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you. I do not get that. But I'm thankful for it. Paul's quoting this passage to these non-Jewish Colossians. He's reiterating again and again that you are now a part of God's covenant family. This is your identity now. This is what is true. And he's calling all of us to speak these truths over one another. In verse 16, he even says to sing it over each other. Sing it. To recognize the lie. Put it away and put on these truths. Receive them for yourselves. Receive this identity in Christ and then operate from this identity that you have in Christ. Because this is a call to covenantal love. Paul's telling the Colossians here that they're now a part of a larger covenant family, the family of God himself, and he's calling them then to act like it. That's what this is. So the world operates on that pride-shame spectrum, which is again about the self, and all the agreements and deals in this world tend to be ultimately self-centered. That's the difference between a contract and a covenant, right? When you enter a contract with another person, the idea is that as long as you fulfill your end of the contract... And uh, then I'll fulfill my end of the contract. But if you don't fulfill your end, I'm out. Right? So this is a transactional way that a fallen o- world operates. It's ultimately just self-serving. But that's not the case with a covenant. A covenant is a different form. well was different from a contract entirely. A covenant is inherently selfless. A contract isn't about protecting yourself. But a covenant I'm sorry, a contract is about protecting yourself, but a covenant is about protecting the other person. That's different. That's why a covenant doesn't work unless both are secure in the love of God. It's the only way it can even work. This is how and why a covenantal community considers others before themselves. A covenantal community, like a local church or a marriage, it's a me-for-you, my-life-for-your-life kind of relationship. I, in a covenant, you don't ask how the other person is serving you or loving you or living up to your expectations. In a covenantal relationship, the question is, how am I loving others? How am I caring for them, honoring them, encouraging them, building them up, not trying to tear them down, but building them up towards Jesus Christ? How am I pointing them to the goodness and grace of God in Christ? This is the kind of community that God has provided for us in Christ because of the secure Identity that he's provided for us in christ it all starts with this new identity and that doesn't mean that when that you're going to just automatically operate out of that identity right because we all still have this tendency to lean into those old clothes of armor especially especially when we're hurt like where we think we have to fight for ourselves back on that pride shame spectrum Right, Which is why we're called to intentionally put on our secure identity in Christ, not in others. Your identity is not in risen church. Your identity is not in your marriage. Your identity is not in your friends or your job. Your identity is in Christ alone. Holy, chosen, beloved. Verse 12. Again, back to verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Whoo, that's a different kind of community! This is the covering we utilize to navigate difficulty in this fallen world as his secure people. This is confidence. Put on then compassionate hearts. What does that mean? It means don't shrug one another off. It means cold indifference is not how we operate in the body of Christ. The word for hearts here is actually the Greek word splagnon. Say splagnon. Splagnon. (laughs) It's actually, it's, it's, one, it's like onomatopoeia. It sounds like what it means, okay? Splognon. It's a word for bowels and intestines, <laughs> right? That's what it means. So, so the seed of emotions in the ancient world wasn't the heart. It was the bowels. That just sounds weird if you're reading this translation and you're like, put on compassionate bowels? Well, that means something different to us today, right? But this is what he's talking about. He's saying love one another to the point where you're not detached, but you're gutted when they're gutted. Compassion moves us to action. It's not just sympathy, it's sympathy in action. But you're not manipulated by that situation because you're secure in Christ. This doesn't work for a world that has no security in Christ. You know what they say? Rid yourself of all toxicity and get away from all. You see it? they're not helpful for you, leave them behind. It's like every meme I see, boom, boom, boom. You know what that is? It's just insecurity. It's people that don't know the love of Jesus Christ fully and secure. Now, I'm not saying stay in toxic relationships. This can take this to an extreme. That's not what I'm saying, okay? What I am saying is no matter what your circumstance is, the only way you're going to really be able to navigate those things is by leaning into Jesus. Okay. You care, and when others exploit that, watch this, it's not fun, but you're going to be okay. You know why? Because you're not dependent on them to love you back. Your love and affirmation isn't dependent upon whether it's returned or not, because you've tapped into the source of it all. That's a new level of security. Now I'm actually safe to love with all my heart, even if it's not reciprocated, because I have all I need in Christ. Now I'm a conduit of his love and not looking for it from other people. That's easier said than done. That's why this is a process. This is why we're being renewed daily, okay? That doesn't mean pain isn't real. That doesn't mean betrayal doesn't happen. But when it does, bitterness can be released because you have all you need in Christ. But this is a process, so we need to be, be patient with one another in the process and even have compassionate hearts for one another in this process. Amen? Just as Jesus is with you. You see it? He goes back to Jesus. That's the point. Put off thin skin and hard hearts. That's the way of this world, and it always ends in bitter resentment and idle isolation. <laughs> to pray for others and put on then thick skin and a soft heart. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of grace. This is the way of true life and true love which leads to verse 14. And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Without love, gospel community has no traction. It's got no salt. Without love, truth falls on deaf ears with no real effect, just empty religious jargon and rules. Without love, all the armor you suit up in is just going to fall to pieces because love is that which binds it all together. Without love, it's all just a sneaky way to operate in those old clothes on the self-centered pride-shame spectrum and call it Christianity. You see that? But it's not. It's empty legalistic religion. See, there's this... There's a reason why 1 Corinthians 13 is read at weddings so much. It's because true weddings are a celebration of covenant love. And it's the covenant love that God has for us. And it's a celebration of that covenant love that God's called his church to put on and operate in. So again, like if you think that telling truth just means calling people out for sin, you've completely missed the point of telling the truth. It's not just calling people out for sin, it's calling people up to their true identity that they have or can have in Christ. Do you see that? I want you to get that, because this one's tough, right? Telling the truth doesn't just mean calling people out for their sin. It's calling people up to their true identity in Christ or the true identity that they can have in Christ. Now, the way off of this, though, is inevitably, and sometimes we shy away from telling the truth because we don't want people to go here into shame and condemnation. But the way off of this, right, for the unbeliever, the way off of this, for sure, they got to realize where they are. they got to confess. Does that make sense? For the believer, you also have to confess. That's now called humility. I don't have what it takes. You see this? That's a whole other sermon. I don't have time to go there. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, it's all in vain. It's old ways, old man, Saul's armor, look at me, serve me, be impressed with me, beholden to me, controlled by me, dependent on me, vanity, vanity, it's all just vanity. But with love, specifically with the love of God in Christ, it's not just noise, it's a song, right? And it's not just any song. All that we do and say begins to carry the harmony of heaven with it. All that we demonstrate and proclaim is harmonized by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is why Jesus gave us the new commandment in John 13 34 and 35, which says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how we're called to be set apart. This this is what brings the force of eternity with it, not slick speech and impressive arguments. God's top-tier strategy for expanding his kingdom upon the earth is through the way his people love one another and operate in grace and truth. That's why you're going to have a tough time making disciples if you're not in gospel community. Does that make sense? Like, this is how we make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is how we grow the church, and this is how we expand the kingdom. But when you say love, what do you mean? What does that actually mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient, and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Does this sound like your evangelism strategies? Because this is God's strategy. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to get it all right in order to be an evangelist. Absolutely not. In fact, the point here is evangelism is a demonstration of grace, that you're not Jesus. (laughs) But it comes with a humility to recognize that. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, which means you believe the best about each other and you hope the best for each other which is how you bear with one another and endure all things, right? So love is what binds all things together in perfect harmony as the song of heaven is sung over the earth in and through you. Not because you're perfect, but because you're perfectly loved and perfectly forgiven and you've been equipped and empowered by God himself to proclaim and demonstrate these truths to one another and a fallen world. Because as we do this, we invite the rest of the world in, which brings me to the last question here. Why does it matter? It matters because this is how the kingdom advances upon the earth. This is is how we bring him the most glory. Verse 15. And let the peace or the shalom of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The way to peace, the way to shalom isn't through isolation. It's through simple, or it isn't through behavior modification. It's through simply experiencing the love of God in Christ and accepting that identity in Him and expressing the love you've received to one another and rejoicing in unified thanksgiving together before the lost world while inviting them in and introducing them to your Savior and King. Like so, so hear this, having this truth, that you're wholly loved, that you're completely forgiven, that your very identity is in the love of your Savior and not the failure of your sin, this is the unconditional love that he's calling us to put on and clothe ourselves in. It's the reality that you're unconditionally beloved, chosen, holy, approved by your heavenly Father by the grace of Christ, and that's what will triumph with compassion where there is hardness. Forgiveness, where there is resentment. Humility, where there is pride. Meekness, where there is rebellion. And patience, where there is frustration. It's the love of God that truly binds all these things together in perfect harmony. And when you clothe yourselves in the love and grace of Jesus, the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. If that sounds familiar to some of you, It means I've either officiated your wedding or you've been to a wedding I have officiated. (laughs) Because it's this passage that speaks to the covenantal love that's to be demonstrated both in marriage and the local church. Because both are designed to proclaim and demonstrate the love we have in Christ. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we're perfectly loved. This is grace, and it is amazing. Amen? It's so funny. Again, like you, you, this is why when people are like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Like when you read the Bible, you realize just how self-centered and silly that is, right? So, so the biggest barrier, I think, though, to entering authentic gospel community is fear or vulnerability. It's the pride-shame stuff. So many people think Christianity is about trying to get people to do what they don't want to do. Right? When you're captivated by the siren songs of this world, it doesn't make sense that anyone would actually want to operate like this. So the assumption is that Christianity is all about trying to get people to do things they don't want to do. You ever seen that? You ever felt that way? Right. So many people never come to Jesus because they think they could never live up to expectations and they'd just be a hypocrite. Ever heard that before? Maybe you're thinking that, some of you. And so that's the reason, though, for the cross. This is why we have the cross and resurrection. The reason he sends us the Holy Spirit is to transform us from the inside out and renew us and give us new hearts. I'm going to close with this. Um, It's actually from Greek mythology. It tells a story of these beautiful women called Sirens who lived on an island. And whenever a ship passed by their island, they would go to the shoreline and they'd begin singing to the sailors that passed by. Their voices were said to be so beautiful that any man who heard them wouldn't be able to resist, no matter how strong-willed he was. Um, And so they would be drawn to these siren songs of these beautiful women on the shoreline. And then these sirens, though, weren't actually women. They were these demonic cannibal creatures who would lure sailors to crash upon the rocks and then they would devour them alive. But even knowing that that was who they were, wasn't enough to resist the siren songs. So the, the famous hero, uh, Odysseus, from, from Greek mythology, he wasn't a real guy, uh, far, i never met him, and his crew, they're going to sail past this island. So this is the story. So Odysseus and his crew are going to sail past this island, and he had been warned about these sirens. But Odysseus had a plan. He was really curious about what this siren song sounded like. That's not wise, but he did it. And so he didn't want to be eaten alive, though, so what he did was he had his crew tie him, restrain him, really so tight that he couldn't get out, and tie him to the mast of the ship. And so he told them not to let him out of the ropes, no matter what he said or did, until they were far away from the island. And so he had all his crew put beeswax in their ears so they couldn't hear the siren song. And so as they sailed past the island, sure enough, the sirens began to sing, and Odysseus went absolutely crazy. He's begging, he's pleading, he's threatening, to just all to be released so he could go to the sirens. But his crew wouldn't let him. They had restrained him. They made sure his restraints were tight, and, and, and after all, you know, it, it's for his own good. Which, of course, it was. This is what so many people think Christianity is all about. You're just restrained. You want to go there... But oh you see it it's just a constant restrained resistance from what you really want to do but if that's all it is then it's just outside it's just that outside in moral conformity it's not true heart level inside out transformation now hear me There are often seasons where restraint like this from those who love you is wise and necessary. Okay? But it's not the end goal. You see, there was another Greek hero named Jason and his famous Argonauts. They also had to pass by the sirens, But Jason had a different approach than Odysseus. Instead of using beeswax and restraining ropes, Jason brought along the legendary musician, Orpheus, who was known for playing this divinely inspired music. And so when they passed by the island, the sirens sang and sang, but it had no effect because Jason and his Argonauts were already captivated by the song of Orpheus. They had a greater affection for a greater song that drove out and drowned out the song of the sirens. This is the song God sings over us in Christ. This is the song he's called us to sing over one another. This is what true Christianity looks like. It's a song that transforms us from the inside out. A song that gives us a new heart and a new identity and new desires and new affections. It's, as Tim Keller puts it, the expulsive power of a new affection that expels all other affections. It's not just about resisting sin. It's about relishing Jesus. Being satisfied, seeing and savoring him and putting him on in love. Matthew 12, verse 44 and 45, Jesus is talking about what happens when a demonic spirit is sent out of a person. And he says it leaves that person, but it finds nowhere else to go. And then it says, this is what it says, it says, I will return to my house from which I came, which is that person, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. And that generation is the generation that does not set their affections upon the king. They're not listening to a new song. This is the point. This is often the case when we only focus on sin and never behold the Savior. Praise God that he offers us new hearts. So what what songs what song is your heart attuned to? Like, What kind of spiritual armor and identity are you clothing yourself in daily? What song are you singing over one another and the world around you? Is it the song of the gospel? Is it the song of grace and love that is in Christ? Now, that's the song that tears down strongholds and breeds new life, abundant life, into this fallen world. I know us has been clothed before, but we're this far in, I'm going with it. Matt Chandler puts it like this because it's so good. Matt Chandler put it like this. He said, God wants your heart. Are you putting any energy into stirring up your affections for Jesus? Are you putting any energy into delighting in Jesus? Are you putting anything into growing your affection for Jesus? Where is all your energy, all your white knuckle discipline solely over here trying to clean yourself up? At best, you'll smear it. You'll never get it off of you. But the new heart The new heart just goes, what? Like, what? You love me? Wait, me? Like, with all this? And the new heart you're given, the new heart isn't no longer going to do bad things. The new heart is, I can see him. I can see him like I never saw him before. I regarded him according to the flesh. There wasn't anything beautiful about Jesus. The new heart, the gospel salvation is, oh, there's nothing more beautiful in the world seeing him savoring him, singing to him, and letting him sing over you. That's what drives out and drowns out the siren songs of this world. That's when all the white-knuckled discipline turns into open hands of worshipful, joyful, thankful embrace. And you actually run harder after him and to him because you realize then he is your life. Now, inevitably, there's going to be those who hear this and think, great, I don't have to do those Jesus things anymore. And all who strive to obey must be legalistic and judgmental. If that's you, you've completely missed the point entirely. In fact, if that's you, my question for you is, why don't you want to do that which pleases the lover of your soul? The only reason you wouldn't want to is if you're captivated by the siren songs of this world. Put it away and put on the love of God in Jesus Christ. Tune in and hear how he sings over you. This is how he builds his church. Romans 13:12 The night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light